I don't know about you, I really don't, but my heart has been really heavy the last few days. It has been really heavy. There has been great joy intermixed with that heaviness because I know my friend Rusty has left the pain of this world far behind and is in the presence of his Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? But there's still the heaviness. There's still, even in that joy, a heaviness of the 22 families who are grieving for the loss of life of children, teachers, a grandmother. That's just, that's heavy. I can't imagine losing a loved one so violently, so suddenly, by the hand of another human being. As I thought about this tragedy, I was again reminded of how dark and lost our world is. There is no explanation. There never will be an explanation for us. We don't know. We do know, though, that this world is dark and violent. And I was reminded about what Paul wrote in his second letter to Timothy. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of selves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That was thousands of years ago that God through Timothy said, this is what the world is going to be like, and are we seeing that today? More and more so than we ever have here in the United States. But it's been like this around the world for, for centuries, for decades. Even though it's Hard not to be surprised by the heartless brutality of a young man killing children and their teachers. God has been very clear, our world is not going to get better. And this type of violence is going to get worse before the Lord comes to take us home. And as it always does, God's word is proving itself truthful again. Amen? I want to say that again. You see, we don't like that truth, do we? And so when I say that God's word is proving itself faithful, and I say amen, we only want to say amen when the God's word is right and, and good and, and gives good things to our lives, right? But we really want to hold back when we say that God's word isn't, uh, it, it, it's, we don't want to agree that God's word is faithful with all the evil. But is that true? Amen. God has revealed this to us. God has not left us in the dark about this. I wouldn't want to be left in the dark. I want to know that God is in control. God knows, knew what was going to happen. God is, has planned for all of this. Thinking about this can be very depressing. Thinking about this can make one feel as if there is no hope in this world. Thinking about this can lead to anger and distrust creeping into our lives, which makes us want to go home and close and bolt our doors and tell everyone else to leave us alone. I don't want to deal with this. Some of us probably find ourselves there. Only feeling safe in our homes. Only feeling safe when we can have complete control. However, there is another path that we can choose to go down when we think of the darkness of our world. And that path is the one where we realize that there is one true hope in this world, and that is salvation through Jesus Christ. And you and I are witnesses of that hope. You and I are witnesses of that hope. In all of this darkness, in all of this evil, you and I are witnesses to the hope of Jesus Christ. 
How do we get the world to take notice of that witness? We show them the love of Christ. We show them the love of Christ. And many of you here say, I already knew that. We need to show them the love of Christ by witnessing to them, caring for them when they are in need, and praying for them. Amen? And this is true, but I often think that we forget about the primary way Jesus himself says that we can show the world that we love them. And that way leads the world to see that there is a real tangible hope in this dark world. And that is through Jesus Christ. But how do we portray that? What is God's, what is God's primary method that he says, show the world the hope that I have? So please stand with me for the reading of God's word and turn with me to John chapter 13. It's on page 1145 of your Red Pew Bible. If you want to turn there, John chapter 13. And we're going to start in verse 31. John 13, verse 31. And when he had gone out, that was Judas, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glory him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I will also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father God, as we approach your word, I pray that you would focus our minds, open our minds, and allow our minds to just grasp what your word is saying. I pray, Lord God, that it would change our hearts, that it would change our outlooks on this evil world, and that it would give us a sense of purpose, Lord God, in a time when it just seems like everything's out of control. Father God, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So let's set the stage here because we're jumping right into a major portion of Scripture. Uh, Jesus' death on the cross for our sins is just a few hours away. We're, we are really, really close now. <coughs> we are really, really close now. Just hours away from Jesus Christ dying on the cross. Jesus has washed the disciples' feet and they are almost finished with the Passover meal. Jesus announces that one of them would soon betray him and identifies the betrayer as Judas, even though the disciples did not understand what he was saying. In verse 30, we see Judas getting up and leaving the meal, and once he is gone, Jesus begins his farewell dialogue, his farewell address. And this farewell address goes from chapter 13, starting here when Judas leaves, okay, all the way through chapter 16. That's a long farewell. He opens up by reminding his disciples that even though he is soon going to die a humiliating death, that death will end in bringing him much glory. And we see that in the first uh, thir verses 31 uh, and following uh, through 32 in the passage we just read. Then he gets a little personal and he calls them uh, little children. Look at verse 33. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. And he's going to say, little children, I want you to know something. I'm going to leave. He's revealing that to him, them again. Do they want to hear that? No. In fact, 
they kind of almost ignore it. They're not sure what's going on. And he says, and you're not going to be able to follow me. And so he's setting this up. Judas has left. He is saying, I'm going to bring, what is going to happen is going to bring glory to God. And when this is all over, you're not going to be able to follow me. And now the rest of his discourse is encouragement to them. This is what's going to happen. This is some things I want you to know about while I'm gone. Amen? And so he's not going to leave his disciples just floating in nothing like, I don't know what's going on. And so uh, when Jesus says something that is quite surprising, he do- and then he says this, as it's quite surprising. He doesn't start his discourse with telling them to evangelize the world. Did you notice that? Jump down to uh, verse 33. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. That is the opening. That is the, the, the main statement throughout all of chapter 13 now revolves around this love one another. And that when you think about everything that Jesus himself could have told his disciples to encourage them, what's he open up with? Love one another. That's what he opens up with. He doesn't uh, command them to fight against the religious leaders. He doesn't command them to work against the pagan, evil, dark Roman Empire. He commands them to love one another as he has loved them. This would lead us to conclude that their love for one another as disciples of Jesus Christ is extremely important. And it would follow that our love following that same command would be just as important, just as uh, focus just as, uh, as, as a priority in our lives as it should have been for them. Because Jesus Christ is also speaking to us. He says, the first thing I want you to know when I'm gone is you must love one another. That's the basis. And I don't want you to just take my word for it from this one verse. So I'm going to do one of those Pastor Mark things. Okay? I'm going to rip through a whole bunch of verses. I'm not even going to maybe uh, make much of a command, uh, much of a comment, excuse me, on those verses. I just want you to understand what the Bible says about loving one another. So there's going to be 14 verses here, folks. I think this is a record for me. All right, you ready? This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Things like, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. 1 Peter 1, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. 1 John chapter 2, verses 9-11. through 11. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the, children of dark, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. That's very clear. If you walk in darkness, you are not saved. If you walk in love, in light, you are saved. 1 John 3.10 by this, it is evident who the children of God, uh, are, who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Pretty clear. And then we look at First John three eleven. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. 
1 John 3, 14 through 15. We know that we have passed out of life into death. We know that we're saved because we love the brothers. Whoever does not, uh, does not abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. 1 John chapter 3, verse 23, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. 1 John 4, 11 and 12, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. 1 John 5, 1, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves his Father loves whoever has been born of him. First, Second John 1, 5, And now I ask you, dear lady, not, not as though we were uh, writing you a new commandment, but the one that we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. God's Word leaves us no doubt that love for one another characterizes everyone who has been redeemed. God has made it abundantly clear over and over and over. We could have spent sermons upon sermons on those 14 verses. And every single one of them says, if you are saved, you will have an internal, overwhelming love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. You will love them above your family. You will love them above your work. You will love them above, you will love them like Christ loved them. It's a characteristic of every person who claims salvation. If you claim to be saved, one of the assurances that you have that your claim is true is that you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. The question that is often asked when we reflect on this truth is, what does love for one another look like? Is that a fair question? It is. All right. This is a very wise question because we must make sure we define this love for one another biblically and not from the, words, the world's idea of love because it is completely different than what the Bible's idea of loving one another is. And the easiest place to start, all right, the easiest place to start is with the word love itself. All those passages that we read and many more have the same word. And so this is a test for all of you biblically astute folks. What is that word? What is the Greek word? Okay, louder everybody, because you all know it. Agape, all right? The Greek word for you, love in all of these passages is agape. This is a love of choice, not feeling. It is a love of choice, not feelings. It is a love that is other-centered and sacrificial in nature. This love costs a great deal and makes demands on our times, our finances, our patience, and our lives in general. It is a love that is impossible to have for one another through our own efforts. It is only possible through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that all believers receive after they are saved by the faith in Jesus Christ. This love is so sacrificial, other people's needs always come before my own. Other people's needs. But even having a grasp on what the definition is, it's hard to envision what this kind of love really looks like. And what in a practical way, okay, in a practical way, what does it look like? And, and Jesus, God gives us uh, in the epistle in John, uh, the Gospel of John, he gives us an example, a practical answer. So look at John 13, okay? 
John 13, verses 13 through 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. What is the practical definition of what it means to love? In agape. In a, in agape. We have to love like who did? You want a definition? You want to know what it means to love one another? Throughout the whole New Testament, Jesus Christ is the example. And over and over and over, we see Jesus Christ saying, you love like me. That is the definition of loving one another. Amen? New commandment. It says there, a new commandment I give to you. What is this idea of new commandment? Remember, Judas has left. The Lord's charge uh, to the 11 apostles is, in one sense, not new. All the way back in the Old Testament, we see that God says, you must love God above everything, right? And you must love other people. We see that. But what's new about this? What is new about this command to love, even though we find it all the way back in the Old Testament? What's new is the example. The newness of it is, now the standard has been set even higher. Because we have a tangible, personal life lived on this planet showing a life lived loving each other in agape style. And that is whom? Jesus Christ. That's what's new about this commandment. That's what's new. John repeats this command in John chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So what is the bottom line basis for what loving one another looks like that nobody here can get by? We have to love. We need to grow in our love like Christ loved us. That's the standard. There is no lesser standard. There is no lower bar that maybe we can get over. The standard is you and I, if we claim Christ as our Savior, are going to love like Him. We're going to grow in that love. But what does that look like? What does what it loving one another like Jesus look like? And Jesus again gives us the answer. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. That's the standard. You want to know what it means to love like Jesus Christ did? It means giving your life up for somebody else. Jesus makes it very clear. We love sacrificially. Now, I know there are some people here who would say this. If called upon, I would give up my life for my brother or sister in Christ. I would die for them. I would die for them. But we have to understand something. That, in reality, is really an unthought-through answer. We must realize that it's easy to say because we know more than likely that none of us will ever be called to give our lives up for somebody else, like physically, like dying for them. True? I mean, the chances are we're just, that's just not going to happen in our country, in our uh, uh, scenario right now. Could it? Yes. But it is not really possible or likely. And so when we think about this, what does it mean that somebody lays down his life for his friends? Does it only mean in death? No, it doesn't. It does not mean that. What's hard to really grasp is that laying down our lives for our brothers and sisters in Christ isn't limited to just dying for them if called upon to do so. 
It's laying down our time for them. It's laying down our finances for them. It's laying down our material goods for them. It's laying down our vacations and our weekends for them. It's laying down our comfort for them. It's laying down our privacy for them. It's laying down our personal ambitions for them. That's what it means to love and give your life for somebody else. I, it's not just dying. It's I'm giving up my life for somebody else, and it's going to cost me in these areas. But Pastor Mark, does it really have to go that far? Is that is what is really meant? What do you think my answer is? Absolutely, yes. And we say, how do we know that? I'm not going to, we, here we don't just take our opinions. We say, what is, how's it shown in the Bible? Well, we have a really good verse for that. Uh, and we have Paul writing this, first, uh, Romans 5, 8, it says, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we often focus on this, that Christ died where? On the cross, true? And is that true? I mean, Christ died for us. Did he give his life on the cross for us? Yes, but we often forget, we often forget that Christ gave his life for us while we were still sinners in a whole number, a host of other ways. Jesus Christ left heaven and the adoration of, heaven, of the heavenly host for us. Was that a sacrifice for him? Think about coming to this earth after being adored by the heavenly host in heaven. Think of what that means. Christ veiled his divine glory and majesty for us. Jesus came to a very dark and sinful, broken earth for us. Jesus submitted to sinful parents and lived with sinful siblings for years for us. Jesus, the Holy One of God, touched lepers and prostitutes and the lame. Jesus, he healed multitudes who walked away from him when following him cost too much. He experienced abandonment and loneliness for us. Jesus, the creator of our very reality, was reviled, hated, and slandered, and beaten for us. He stood before an unjust court for us. He was spit upon, made fun of, all before he ever died for us. Did he give up his life for us? Across the board. He lived for us on this planet. He came to die for us on this planet and everything that that entailed. Jesus laid down his life for us in a myriad of ways before he ever ended up offering his life on the cross. This is what it means for us to love our brothers and sisters as Jesus Christ loved us. Oh, let that soak in. Let that weigh heavy upon you. That's what it means. We choose to give God our lives. We choose to become sacrifices for those around us. Specifically to whom? In the context of what we're talking about. The people who are sitting next to you. The people who are in this church. Because this is where God has called you first and foremost to what? Love one another. Do we love other people and other uh, brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world and, and, and throughout uh, our community? Yes. But where does that primarily happen? Right here. In this church. Because this is the body that you were called to. Now that we've seen that love for one another characterizes those who have been redeemed by God and we understand what that means better, now that we've come to a better understanding what that love looks like in practical life, we come back to where we began. What does our love for one another have to do with showing those who have no hope that there really is hope? What does our love for each other have to do with showing those who have no hope that there really is hope? 
How does our love for one another show there is a path that leads out of the darkness of this evil world to a sure hope that is found only in Jesus Christ? And Jesus Christ himself, again, gives us an answer to this question. And we've already read it, and we're going to read it again. John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Uh, You also are to love one another. Do we understand more fully what that means now? Here's what he says. By this, by what? Our love for whom? One another, not the world around us. It doesn't mean we don't love those around us. But what's the focus here? By the love we have for each other here, by the love that we show by sacrificially loving each other in this body, listen to what he says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one, love for one another. By this the world will know that you belong to me because you love each other in a way that is impossible in the world. Wow. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. How do we witness? How do we people see that we are his disciples? What is the primary means of that? By how we love each other here. The world's watching. By how we love each other here. Our love for one another is our greatest witnessing to a lost and dying world. Our love for one another proves that there is another way, another path in this world that leads to real hope when we see the horrors of this world. A young man taking 19 children, two teachers, and a grandmother. The war in Ukraine that is resulting in millions of people uh, being displaced and thousands of people being killed. And let me boil this all down to one thing. In this world that is so evil and we don't have the answers for it, let me boil all this down to one concise question. Does my love for my brothers and sisters in Christ give clear witness to the world that, of the love that Jesus had for me? Does my love for my brothers and sisters in Christ give clear witness to the world of the love Jesus had for me? Reflect on that. The sacrifices I make for this body, the sacrifices I make for the brothers and sisters in Christ, the sacrifices I make uh, for this body that impact my family and my job and my life. Does your love for this body make an impact on those watching you on the outside? That's a hard question, isn't it? It's easy for us to give food for Good shepherd, and that's necessary, and we need to do that. It's, it's, it's good for us to show the love of those in need in our neighborhoods. But the way that we let the whole world know, that we let Swansea know, that we let North know, that we let Gaston know, that we belong to Jesus Christ is how we treat and love each other right here in this body. Does your life point to that? Not just once a year. Not just at a special uh, work day, but every day, every week, day in and day out, people look at you and people look at me and people look at Sardis Baptist Church and say, they've got something different than this world has to offer because of how they treat each other and how they love each other. We have to understand that our love for each other here is extremely important. Because it tells the world 
that Christ is real. It tells the world that there is another past because they can see it and watch it in this world or in this church. They see us sacrificing for each other. They see us forgiving one another when we uh, wrong each other. They see us uh, giving up our times and our material goods and everything else. They see us thinking of others in our body before we think of ourselves. And people look at us and say, what do they have that I don't have? If you find yourself having difficulty answering that question, does my love for my brothers and sisters in Christ give clear witness to the world that, of the love that Jesus had for me? Look at this question. What things, specifically, not generally, in my life would regularly and clearly show I love those in my church like Christ loved me? What points, what things in my life, practical things, practical activities, practical sacrifices that show I adore the brothers and sisters I have at Sardis Baptist Church? How would Jesus answer that? We listed all those things. For 33 years, He did nothing but give things up for us. He did nothing but come into contact with things as the Holy One of God that were, what, unholy. Living on an earth that has nothing to offer compared to heaven. For 33 years, He gave like that and said, now you follow my example. Do my unsafe family members see my schedule reflect, I love my brothers and sisters like Christ loved me? Do my unsaved family members see my schedule reflect, I love my brothers and sisters like Christ loved me? Do those who share in hobbies that I'm involved in see me prioritize my time in a way that shows I love my brothers and sisters like Christ loved me? Do my coworkers hear me talk of my brothers and sisters in Christ as much as my favorite sports team? You see, we talk about what we love, true? We refer to what we love. We go out of our way to, to make our schedules, what? Match to the things that we love. Does your life show that with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Does the world see me sacrifice for my brothers and sisters' life like Christ sacrificed for me? My heart was so heavy as I thought about all those children who were violently removed from this earth because of the evil that exists on this planet that we can do nothing about and we can't control and there is no explanation and there is loss and there is grief and there is confusion and there is anger and there is bitterness and there's all this stuff because of that one instance. And to some extent, that's okay because that was unjust and that was horrible. But how do we change that? How do we, how do we move somebody from that point? I don't like that, but I understand that God's in control. I don't like that, but I, because of my salvation, God has opened my eyes and your eyes to what His Word says, is that, that this is what's going to happen as we get close to the end times. That gives us insight, and now it gives us purpose because we understand my life needs to be spent in loving my brothers and sisters like Christ loved me. 
because that is the best witness the world is ever going to have about who Jesus Christ is. Because if all we tell them that Jesus loved them, and there's no practical example of that for them to see what is lived out, then Christianity is nothing more than just another religion. You see, because we can't love each other, as we said before, without the indwelling like this, without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so what I'd like you to do right now is I'd like everybody just to bow their heads for a minute. I'm actually going to give you a few minutes here. Just silence outside of Michelle playing. To really just ask yourself, how does my life witness that Jesus loved me because I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes it's really, really hard to look in the mirror of what our lives really reveal. I had to sit down and ask that same question to me about my life. And there's some places that I need to change. Be honest with yourself. Do you love the brothers and sisters that God has put in your life in a way that it would witness to the love that Jesus Christ had for you? Or does family take precedence? Does career take precedence? Do hobbies take precedence? What does your life truly show? By God's grace, we don't have to fear that looking in the mirror because He is faithful and will forgive us for our sins. Amen? If anybody here says... I need to have some things change. I have not been doing what God has asked me to do. You can come before your Father, Heavenly Father, right now and say, Lord God, I am so sorry. Please forgive me for not loving like you love me. If you're here this morning and you say, I have never seen myself really love like that, I really don't even still understand and know what that means, please come and talk to me. I'll pray with you. I'll be up here at the front when service is over. I'll pray with you. I'll talk with you. Because I want you to know what the real path is. I want you to understand and have that sense that there's purpose in my life. There's purpose besides just dealing with the evil in the world. Father God, we bow before you right now. We humbly bow before you and we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to what your word has shown us this morning. We bow before you, Lord God, and we ask you to change our hearts. Lord God, this world needs so much to see that there is hope in your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, I ask and I pray for everybody here this morning. I ask for every member here. I ask for every teacher, for every pastor, for every deacon here. Lord God, that we wouldn't let the things of this world get in the way of our witness of Jesus Christ by the way that we love one another. Father, there is nothing more in this, important in this world than to give witness of Jesus Christ. And Father, help us to do that in the way that we live, in the way that we love each other. In Christ's name, amen.